Welcome to Colorado State University's new podcast, The Audit, where host Stacy Nick talks with CSU faculty about topics ranging from their latest research to current events. It's that time of year again, a time for tens of thousands of eight-legged arachnids to come out of their southeastern Colorado hiding places, looking for love. The annual tarantula migration is a bit of a misnomer. The spiders aren't actually traveling through their year-round residence, just much more visible during the late summer and early fall mating season. I'm here with Maya Holmes, an entomologist and director of Colorado State University's hands-on traveling insect exhibit, The Bug Zoo, to find out a little more about this annual mating trek. So let's just start off. For folks who don't know what we're talking about, can you explain just a little bit about Colorado's annual tarantula migration? The phrase does kind of conjure up images of millions of spiders charging across the landscape, but I'm guessing that's not the case. (laughs) No, Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on who you are, right? So a migration is usually when every species or every animal in a species gets up, goes somewhere, does something, and comes back. But tarantulas aren't doing that at all. So what we do is we call it a walkabout because it's only the males. And the males mature at a different rate than the females. So males will mature around 8 to 10 years old. And then they'll start walking about looking for the burrows of females, and then they'll come up onto a female's hole, and they can tell that there's a female of the same species in there based off of smell. And they'll do a special little knock with, they have really cool things called pedipalps, which are mouth parts, but they're reproductive mouth parts, which is something humans don't have. And they'll do a special knock, and the females will come out and be like, yes, I would like to mate, or actually, I'm hungry, and I'm going to eat you, or sometimes both. <laughs> and uh, and so it's just the males that are traveling who are mature. Most of them don't make it much longer after they mate. And so that's the end of the life cycle for the males. And then the females can actually hold on to that sperm and they'll have a nice little clutch of 1,500 babies whenever the environment's good. So they can hold on to that for a while. So we see it this time of year because this is when the males are maturing and when the weather is right for them to be able to get up and look around for females, they can travel up to a kilometer each, which is not that far for a human, but really far for something that's as small as they are. So that's that's like running a marathon. When you say knocking, I'm imagining it's like... <laughs> kind of, yeah. So their pedipalps are almost like little legs. And so they look like... If you've ever looked at a tarantula and you thought to yourself, wait, I thought spiders have eight legs, but this has ten. They do have eight legs. And then they've got two things in the very front that look like short little legs. And those are mouth parts. And for males, those... Uh, when they mature, become hollow and act almost like a turkey baster. And that's and so they'll lay their sperm on a web and then they'll turkey baster it up into their pedipalps. And they'll use those pedipalps to tap out a rhythm. In some spiders, it's an extremely specific rhythm. So they like drum or sing to each other. And that's how females determine if the male is good or not. They have to be like good drummers. So, you know, spiders dig drummers. So that's how they're communicating that they're ready to mate and they're not just some regular old prey. They're hopefully, you know prey but with sex too (laughs) and then they'll mate and so the drumming is like very visible you can see it happen it's awesome it's literally their serenade um yeah it is yeah it's 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 more like a like a candy gram almost where they're like (laughs) at the other side of the door and that's to get you to open the door so yeah so the females usually will come out cannibalism in tarantulas is not as prevalent as it is in other arthropods but it definitely can happen because a female has to produce 1,500 eggs, so any extra meal counts. Gal's got to eat. Yeah, it's a lot to produce. 
how many tarantulas are we talking about in this migration in southeastern Colorado? Yeah, so that's actually something that I'm kind of concerned about because about 30 years ago, you could go out and multiple nights you'd see hundreds of tarantulas. And over the last several decades, we've been seeing a, in my opinion, extremely alarming decline in the number of tarantulas out there. And so now if you go out, 10 in a night would be a phenomenal night. So there are still a lot out there. There's probably hundreds and you're looking places where a tarantula might not think like tarantulas are really good at knowing where tarantulas are supposed to be. And humans are less good at figuring out where tarantulas are going to be than tarantulas are. So part of it is just that the places that we are going are places that are easier for humans to access. So roads, but we are seeing a lot of decline in our tarantula populations likely due to climate change. They are popular for tourists to go Mm -hmm. visit. Is that a good thing or is that maybe not so good for people to want to go check these guys out? Ooh, that's a complicated question and a complicated answer. I think it's probably a little bit of both. It's really good for people to get excited and people to see tarantulas as something that's like a really cool thing in nature. Like we have tarantulas in Colorado. That's so cool. It's less cool if it means that people are going and finding them and taking them out of the wild. So it's good to observe them in a way that is very conscientious that they're a wild animal in a wild place. Mm-hmm. Is that a big problem? Do people, are there poachers that go out and during this time and try and, and find tarantulas? It's not legal to sell native animals in Colorado. So there's not really a financial incentive to do that. But elsewhere in the world, tarantula populations are absolutely being affected by people going out and collecting them and then selling them into the pet trade. And the tarantula pet trade has quadrupled, if not higher, in the last 10 years. And so 10, 15 years ago, you could get maybe five different kinds of tarantulas. And now I go into an exotic pet store and I don't know what most of the tarantulas are and I've never seen them before, which means we aren't recording how many we're taking from the wild. We don't know what proportion are being taken out of the wild. So if you're taking 100, but there's only 150, that's really bad. And we're actually seeing a lot of tarantulas ending up on protected lists now too. Where's the best place for people if they want to go see the migration? Where should they be going? Their habitat is like the grassland areas of southern Colorado. So around the Pueblo area, La Junta is a pretty popular place this time of year. It's actually starting to see a little spike in tourism this time of year because of the tarantulas. But any of those southernmost grassland areas are great, especially if you want to do a, a weekend camping trip out in the grasslands. You can see them there. And when is the best time of year and best time of the day? Tarantula finding is great for night owls. <laughs> so if, if you're getting up early in the morning, it's too cold. And so they need the temperature to be still warm, but not cold yet. So you're going to see them mostly when it's starting to get dark and cooling off all the way up until it's like still warm, but not cold yet. So like eight o'clock at night up until about one o'clock in the morning. And the easiest place to find them is by road cruising. So you're driving around on the little back roads in the areas and watching them cross over the streets. The more populated an area is, the less likely you are to see them because they need burrows and human dwellings don't really allow for burrows. And yeah, that's about the best time they are active at night. And there's a, a time frame here. So we're, we're, we're cutting right into uh, the migration season. How long does that last? Yeah. So the peak of it really depends on the temperature. But usually the peak, I would say, is mid to late September and then maybe a couple of weeks around that. But I, by October, it's usually too late. It's too cold at night for them. I kind of want to go back to something you were talking about with the roads. 
you want to keep an eye out for them, mm-hmm. obviously. And I know there's a movement to try to maybe make a, a overpass or something for them to protect them. Is, is, have you heard about that? I know that they do that for other wildlife. There's been mixed research on the effectiveness of those because predators like to hang out on those overpasses. So prey animals sometimes are hesitant to use them. And so it doesn't actually end up helping as much. They'll still prefer the road to a bridge or a tunnel. With tarantulas, it's not so much that they're preferentially picking roads. It's that they are going to move and roads are in the way. And so they're crossing the roads and then just getting splatted. So fortunately, there's a lot less traffic in the middle of grasslands. (laughs) But it is still something to, you know, if you see a tarantula, don't hit it. And again, we aren't seeing numbers where like an entire road is going to be covered by tarantulas. You'll see on a mile stretch, maybe you'll see eight. Eight would be great. So they're easy to miss. (laughs) So obviously cars, uh, not great for tarantulas. But what other kinds of things uh, are tarantulas dealing with right now? Uh, what, What predators are out there? Tarantulas are tasty food for many things, including humans. There's several different groups of people who will eat tarantulas. Yeah. (laughs) I hear it tastes a lot like lobster because they're very closely related. I've never eaten a tarantula because I feel bad (laughs) about eating a tarantula. But uh, there's actually a very specific type of wasp called a tarantula hawk wasp. They're rather big wasps and they're called a parasitoid wasp. And they can smell the tarantula from a distance as well using pheromones. And they'll sting the tarantula and paralyze it and then drag it down into a hole and lay an egg on it and seal it up, and then the egg hatches and eats the tarantula alive. So really glad we don't have any uh, parasitic wasps that parasitize humans yet. Evolution (laughs) is pretty, pretty good at coming up with new ones. Birds, coyotes, coyotes love to eat tarantulas. House cats will also go after tarantulas in areas where there are feral or even somebody's outdoor cats. The big thing is they do have these defense mechanism called urticating hairs, which are these special hairs that are a lot like fiberglass, so itchy, prickly, also like cacti if you've never had the misfortune of rolling in insulation fiber. They'll use those, they'll flick those off in a cloud at whatever they feel threatened by, but once they run out of those hairs, they don't have any more. And so tarantulas that have used up those hairs on encounters with one or two other predators by that third predator, they're kind of defenseless. And also the wasps are immune to the hares as well. So a ton of things eat tarantulas. It's a a rough life. Yeah, it's tough. (laughs) And it takes, you know, females, it takes 15-ish years to become mature, but they can live for 40 years. And then males, 8 to 10 years. And they don't usually make it for more than two years uh, post-maturity in captivity. In the wild, they're usually gone before the first frost. Now, you have a, a little guest here with us. Who, who do we have here? Yeah, I brought Edith, and she is one of our Oklahoma Browns, which is our native species here, a Fona Pelmahenzi. And so I brought her so we could describe her a little bit for people who are listening. So Oklahoma Browns are kind of like a weird name because common names aren't super helpful because she is found in Oklahoma, but she's also found in a lot of states. It's actually the most common tarantula in North America. So they can be from Louisiana across to California, and then again down from Louisiana, Texas area up through, eh, Colorado's about as far north as they get. They're called an Oklahoma brown or a Texas brown or a Texas tan or a burrowing brown. So they are brown. <laughs> uh, I think they're a beautiful brown. They're like, they're, their head is like a milk chocolate brown, 
And then their body can be like a deep chocolate to almost black velvet when they molt. And so they're just really, I think they're a really striking tarantula. A lot of people think they're boring because they're brown, but I think they're phenomenal. And they're about the size. They can easily fit on your hand. She is a beauty. Where did you get her from? This is actually one of the ones that was given to me when we filmed an episode of Deep Look through PBS and KQED. So the filming crew went out to film them in their native habitat. And they were actually able to find a couple of females that were out. And they collected them and brought them with them. And then we were able to film them in the studio so we could create that episode. And then at the end, it was by the time we finished filming everything for that episode, it was too cold to re-release them back to where they had been. And you usually don't want to re-release animals if they've been in captivity for too long. And so now we have, we've got Edith, Caroline, and um, Bernice uh-huh. are our three females. And then the males that they also brought with them. They got to have their 15 minutes of fame on PBS. And then they did eventually die because they don't live nearly as long. But we've got several, probably several more years with all of our females. Edith, you're a celebrity. I don't think Edith was actually one of the ones that got filmed because she's a little bit more cantankerous than our other ones who are Ah. (laughs) more willing to be manipulated for under lights and everything like that. But she does okay on outreaches. So That's really cool. I had no idea how they do that process. I I watched the video and it was amazing. And whenever you see those kinds of nature programming, you always wonder how they got, how do they get that shot? How do they get, so there's maybe a little Hollywood magic happening there. Could you tell which ones were shot in the wild and which ones were shot in the studio setting? Not at all. I was really surprised. (laughs) It was all macro photography and we filmed for about, oh, it felt like a week, but it was probably three or four days of constant filming. And animals never act the way you want them to act when a camera's running. And so we had to redo it over and over again. So I had to switch between the four different tarantulas because females don't want to mate back to back to back. And so switching them out, the males were ready to go. Um, But luckily I had enough males that also were willing to pair up enough that we got the shots. There's a lot of unused footage that was just a tarantula sitting there not doing anything. And you being like, come on, do something. They're like, "Mm mm-mm. How did you get set up with that project? How did that happen? Elliot Kennerson, he was the editor for Deep Look. He had just moved to Boulder and was like, well, I need to do some sort of entomology-themed thing that isn't based out of California. And so he just did a quick Google, and the bug zoo showed up, and he sent me an email. was like, would you be interested in this? Unknowing that I was like a super fan for Deep Look and had watched every single episode that had ever existed. And... um. Yeah, he, and so he's like, do you want to collaborate on this? And I was like, boy, do I. <laughs> and so that's how it worked out. If, if anyone heard me go, my the deep breath that I just took, Edith just moved up the up the wall of the, the little enclosure for a second and startled me just a little bit. <laughs> Not a lot. They're slow moving and totally harmless. There's really the worst you could do is get itchy. So even if she bit you and used her venom, humans don't react to their venom. So huh? There's this perception that especially tarantulas are very dangerous that they are, they attack, they're, you know, they're, they're something that people are, are afraid of. But as you just mentioned, they're not really that harmful. Yeah. So 
like almost all spiders, tarantulas really are not nearly as dangerous as they've been portrayed. So there isn't any record anywhere of someone dying from a tarantula bite, though no one's ever died from a tarantula. In North American species, they do have those itchy hairs, those urticating hairs, which means that their venom is a lot less potent because they're depending primarily on having you get away from them with those itchy hairs. So they're absolutely lethal if you're a cricket or a cockroach or any of their prey but they don't eat mammals, so mammals don't really react to their venom because their venom is primarily there to help them eat. Uh, other tarantulas do have venom that are from like Asia and Africa that because they don't have those hairs, they do depend on their venom more for defense. And so they have venom that will like ruin your weekend, but won't necessarily kill you. And then spiders in general, there's thousands and thousands of species of spider out there. And I would say that two are actually dangerous and one of them lives in Brazil and one of them lives in Sydney, Australia. So unlikely that you'd have to interact with them and be genuinely in danger from being around them. So arachnophobia, that movie from the 80s, I think, that kind of lied to us then a little bit, maybe. <laughs> I, like many entomologists, I'm sure, have a complicated relationship with arachnophobia because it's an <laughs> objectively amazing movie and it's so good. And they used real spiders, which is, I don't know, I spent three days filming a five-minute video for KQED and that's a feature-length film. The tarantula wrangling on that is outstanding. <laughs> but it also made people afraid of spiders because... They used real spiders. And so you can't even be like, oh, well, like, at least I won't see that kind. The kind that you talk about that's like the main villain spider it is not a real spider. But it's so much fun to play with fear. It's really fun to, like, scare each other in safe ways instead of saying, oh, this is something that I have to be real afraid of. Think of it more like a haunted house experience and less of like an actual dangerous experience because spiders are not actually dangerous to humans. So I don't think there's a spider I would squish. And they're really cool, as we can see by the fact that La Junta gets an actual tourist boost every year around this time because people want to come out and they want to see this. They oh, absolutely. They want to see these guys. Well, thanks so much for being here today. Maya Holmes is an entomologist and director of Colorado State University's Bug Zoo. I'm your host, Stacey Nick, and this is The Audit, CSU's new podcast featuring conversations with CSU faculty on everything from research to current events. 